This is a little too quiet. The Ferndale Library podcast brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. Today, we're talking to singer-songwriter Kate Hynote, a local musician here in the Metro Detroit area. The reason we're talking to Kate Hynote here in the uh, almost late summertime is that originally she was scheduled to perform as part of the Ferndale Library's summer concert series with the Kate Hynote Trio. Obviously, with the world being as it is, we had to cancel that performance, but we still wanted to talk to Kate about the experience of singing in front of an audience and also about overcoming stage fright and really, really so much more. Singer-songwriter Kate Hino will be joining us in just a minute. She's been writing and performing music around town for years. She has the memory of singing going back to her very youngest years, as you're about to hear with with an amazing anecdote. She's been collaborating with uh, musician and producer Tony Amara in projects like Ether Aura and the ongoing folk noir ensemble, The Blue Flowers, for several years, but she had started developing this new project with Blue Flowers guitarist David Johnson, and that grew to be a trio with Matthew Parmenter adding the violin. And so the Kate High Note Trio, they were, as I said, set to be one of our featured performers for the annual summer concert series here at the library, which we have outside in the courtyard. It's really one of my favorite things that this library gets to do. Uh, as a library, we actually host monthly concerts, or at least we, we would have normally. So hopefully we can get back to that soon because this is, uh, this is a library that likes to celebrate the local art scene and, and really just kind of at every opportunity we can get our patrons to be aware, just aware of, of how many talented people live here, like Kate Hynote. Hynote and I uh, talk a, about a lot of things. We talk about her love for performing what it takes to attain a voice like hers. It's very powerful, soaring, just full of atmosphere, full of character. Her voice is really an instrument onto itself. And something else about the music that she's been involved in and the songs that she has written, it consistently stands just outside of being one genre and often thrives as several genres at once. It's sort of a composite of various vibes from folk to Americana to shoegaze to surf rock to even a bit of a gothic alternative rock. So we talk about that, as well as the new project, the Kate High Note Trio. And something else we'll cover is the importance of finding other pursuits. You know, music is great, but you can find other hobbies and meditations, uh, especially during quarantine when, you know, some songwriters were really trying to just figure out just how to be creative and what to do with their time. Kate Highnote offers uh, another alternative at the end of this podcast that's worth considering. But more on that in a minute. This is our chat with singer-songwriter Kate Highnote. Kate, because 
I think I should link in the show notes to a lot of the articles that I've written about some of your bands, because I think whenever I've interviewed you, I've tended to go really deep and really conceptual. And I've never, <laughs> I've never really gotten to just ask you how and when you started singing and how and when music came into your life and what that experience was like for you. Okay. So starting at the beginning, I got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have been singing for as long as I can remember. My mom tells a story uh, anytime she has an opportunity to embarrass me of (laughs) me standing on a fold out kitchen chair in my backyard in a pink frilly dress singing tomorrow from Annie for my neighbors full blown concert. That is quite an image. (laughs) And I was a super cute little girl. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. So I wish we had photos of that. We do. We do not. So there's no evidence. Uh, so I, I don't know if we can fully believe her. That's, but, um, that's the kind of thing that burns into your memory, though. Exactly. But yeah, I've been singing forever. My mom was a sing- like she sang in choir and stuff. So she was very into music, although she was, you know, she had a, she liked Elvis a lot. And so I always grew up listening to music. My aunt and uncle, we would spend a lot of time on their lake and they would play oldies all the time. So I fell in love with oldies very young and like singing those songs. But it really was, I I would say choir. When I started choir in middle school, that was really when I started to realize I might have a skill set that was, you know, something, you know, that I could sing a little bit better than other people. Not to, I don't know how to say that without sounding whatever. You can sing better than me. I'll give you that. (laughs) But I did realize at some point that, oh, I can actually carry a tune a little bit better than other people. And I didn't really understand the science of that until much later. What makes me curious is if the kind of person who has a very good voice like you, but isn't like, you know, isn't really able to perform in front of big audiences. I really haven't met that person. I really feel like if you have a good voice, you you can perform, but maybe that's a presumption. Did you get nervous when you had to, you know, do those first sort of big audience shows as a singer? Yeah, I actually, when I was younger, I didn't have stage fright. Like choir didn't scare me because you're up there with so many people. I would certainly get nervous if I had any sort of solo or, and I did, ha- I've always had a little bit of a competitive nature. So I did always kind of want want to be better at it than other people. It was something I liked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in school, you're always, at least when I was in school, uh, it's very clear who is favored, you know, above other people as far as singers go, like who's the best singer and all of that. Through school, I was never, I was never, you know, the top. I was never like the one that got all the solos and all of that. So I kind of just, I don't know, I just kind of did my sing my, I was a second soprano. So I sang my harmonies in choir and, you know, I never had the lead. But then uh, I would say when I started singing in bands, Mm -hmm. That was when the stage fright really, I had terrible, terrible stage fright. Our really? first, oh yeah, it was awful. Uh, the very first show I ever did was for our first band, Ether Aura. It was at, was it called the, was it called Labyrinth underneath City Club? Oh, okay. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. And that's, and, and, <laughs> I think it's called the Labyrinth. Yeah. And it was in the basement of City Club. So you can imagine. Tough crowd. Dark, uh, dirty, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, but anyway, that was our first show. And I was, literally physically ill the week leading up to it because I was so nervous and I would say I had that level of stage fright for years wow okay and certainly not a week leading up to it but I would start to get nervous days before a show okay and then I would say at some point I got to the point where about three songs in I would start to feel okay but that took years there would be shows I would just be like sick to my stomach the whole set because I just was so nervous 
And then there really was a turning point at some point. I think it was with Blue Flowers. We played just an obscene amount of shows in one summer. And I think that was it. I just had played so many shows, messed up enough and recovered that I kind of realized that, you know, it's okay if you make a little bit of a mistake, people forgive you. And I think some people actually like it because it humanizes you a little bit. And and it just, it literally just went away, just vanished. Right. But I have to tell you, not uh, having not played for so long, just this past, you know, we just played a show a couple or this last weekend. Mm Mm-hmm. All those nerves. I mean, they were there again. They were certainly back. I was so nervous, like days leading up to it. And we only had to do two songs. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that that's important for, for folks to remember. I mean, obviously, we, we're living in a world right now where we've been five months without regular shows. But if, if you were a regular sort of local, rather, if you were a regular show goer to local music, you might underestimate how nervous a lot of our local artists really might be getting. You might not show it on your face. But, right. And I think it's one thing to to be in choir and to sing standards and it's and it might be another to to sing cover songs. But when it is your own work, uh, something kind of intensive happens, right? It's because you maybe care about the material, but then you have your band and you're really creating something together. It's it's probably pretty intense. It's definitely intense. And that that certainly has something to do with it, because you're not only exposing like your my voice, you know, I'm exposing this thing that I wrote that I'm putting out for judgment. I mean, there's no other way around it. It's that's right. just what you're doing. You're right. setting it up to be judged one way or another. And you and in the end, you really want people to like it. People yeah. can say they don't care. People yeah. can say they don't do it for that reason. And I don't do it for that reason for people to like it. But you still want people to, right. you know. But yeah, talk a little bit more about getting into that groove, though, after so many performances, because we we were so excited here at the library to to have you potentially scheduled to be part of our summer concert series, because frankly, we I knew you could deliver. We just know <laughs> that you're so good in front of an audience and you you have gotten to that point. But uh, I guess talk about we talked about what you loved in your youth as a singer, as Annie in your dress singing tomorrow. But when you did get into that groove, I guess what were a general question but what were some of the things you just really enjoyed a lot about performing and the audience i don't know exactly when it transitioned and when i went from being so nervous and to really every part of me enjoying being on stage there was there was a point where i didn't enjoy it as much and then at some point i transitioned and for lack of a better term it became like a drug it just became stage time i talk about that a lot i post that i need stage time it is like a high it's like endorphins it's like a runner's high or something right absolutely because you're just you're building up to that moment and then you get on stage and you have just that usually brief moment on stage you know 30 minutes 60 minutes whatever where you're at least attempting to engage connect get people in that moment with you because that's i mean that's That's one of the hardest things at a show is to actually get people to pay attention to you, depending on the circumstances. I mean, if you're playing a big release show and they're there to see you, it's a different story. Mm -hmm. But when you're playing a big festival, 75% of the people don't know who you are. And half of those don't care. (laughs) So you're really just trying to even, you know, just engage with anyone. I mean, just get anybody to really connect with you. And it's also fun to be up there, you know, making music with a band and, having that moment with your bandmates. I mean, that there's just something to that that's really enjoyable. But I I personally enjoy the physical act of singing, like mm-hmm. actually opening my mouth and making sound. It does something for me that, that relaxes me. And that's the main thing that changed for me. Like somewhere along the way, I could be nervous, 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 nervous. And then as soon as I got on stage and stood in front of that mic, 
it would kind of just go away and I would be able to be in the moment. And I think I talked about this before, but I am a little, I don't know, I'm a little spazzy. I I get uh, nervous energy and it's hard for me to focus sometimes. And one of the things that I like about performing is that I have no choice. If I want to sing the song and I want to deliver those lyrics, I have got to be right there in that moment. I have no choice in the matter. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like a response at that point. Right. Um, This is, sounds like a, it's weird to say out loud, but I, I want it as the highest compliment. When you're in the room while Kate Hynode is singing, you remember it. Like you, you do, no, you do stand out. Cause I think that, I think you really do treat the voice and your, and your performance of those vocals as like another instrument. I think when people go to shows, the drums can sort of create something that's like a, a really catchy rhythm. The guitar solo is there, of course. Those are very prominent elements. Your voice is such a soaring element. You've already, you've always treated it like that. So it's hard to, Thank you. I just imagine if you're like, <laughs> cause you've played probably every venue. I just imagine like, wh- where do you go for your, do you, do you do vocal warmups or do you sometimes just go into it? What do you have any, do you have any tips for people who want to sing as good as you? <laughs> I'm, t- I'm terrible. So years ago, I had a bad vocal injury and it, it took me out for like four months. I ended up having, I took voice lessons to recover. I had to do speech therapy. I had to do all this stuff. I couldn't sing for four months. I had just a certain part of my range was just gone. Uh-huh. Like two notes, they just would not come out. And so I ended up taking voice lessons. And that was that was the first time I actually started doing vocal warmups. And it changed everything. So I would definitely recommend vocal warmups for sure. I don't do them anymore because (laughs) I got out of the habit. So uh, that's awful to say, but I I definitely think they help, especially to smooth out your range and to expand your range. But I don't, I don't do it much now. I pretty much just dive in. And especially because I was performing so much, you know, it, it didn't, it wasn't quite as necessary. I wasn't going a month without singing. I was singing, you know, two or three times a week. Right. But that that's a nice PSA for the podcast. Kids, warm up. You got to warm up if you're doing this. <laughs> it um, is important. I'm not a great example of it, but I do agree it is important. <laughs> uh, I want to get into the Kate Hino Trio, which is your newest project. And then yeah. I especially want to ask, related to that band, is sort of genre. All the other projects you've kind of been involved in have been sort of unable to be tied down by any specific genre no matter what you've been been doing and if anyone were to google the kate high note trio right now all they would really maybe find is that it's an acoustic trio and uh that right. david johnson and matthew parmenter are in it but can you tell us more about this newest project if it has a genre yes happily uh so that's funny that you should mention that because i've been i've absolutely been struggling with that yeah. we i had been playing as a duo with david for a while and then matthew for whatever reason, decided he wanted to play violin and offered to play with us. Thank goodness. But even before that, Dave, Dave and I just didn't know what to call ourselves because we have like kind of, I have like an alternative heart and he's got a rock heart and it's just, you know, it was very difficult. Mm-hmm. So I came up with this, I just made up a genre <laughs> called uh, alt indie torch songs. I love it. Right. I mean, it fits. It makes sense. And it fits. Uh, yeah, it fits, but you know, nobody knows what that is. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have been trying to think of something more broad, but really it's, and, and then also because there is just a dark element in everything that I do, and it may not seem like it to some people who are doing, you know, black metal or industrial or, or goth music or whatever, it may not seem like it, it may just seem like folky 
whatever to them. To me, there is a darkness in everything that we're doing, even the covers we pick most of the time. Yeah. And so something like indie just doesn't seem to quite cover it. And alternative doesn't really seem to cover it. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it has much rock left in it because of just the nature of the instrumentation. And I just, I definitely don't think folk fits it. So I just, it's really hard. Yeah. You've always sort of, uh, you and your projects have always sort of been, folks have always, that was a very telling way to start that sentence. Folks. Folks have always been tempted to put you near folk, uh, you know, and when you were when you were performing with your previous bands, it was sort of like, oh, well, you know, this is kind of fitting that gothic Americana thing. And, and I don't know if that was ever like fully what you Accurate? were. Yeah, right. you might have right. like dipped into it a little bit, but <laughs> I, I think. I think honestly with Blue Flowers, the first album, because we came from that shoegaze, Ether Aura was very like shoegaze and just heavy and noisy, Um, not even heavy, but noisy. And then when we kind of switched to Americana with our first album with Blue Flowers, I think that the folk, the folk, I don't even know what the word is, tag just Mm -hmm. kind of got attached to it. Mm -hmm. And then it was kind of hard. And not that I have any problem with folk. I, I in high school, I was obsessed. I mean, that oh, was yeah? like everything I listened to. I, you know, I listened to Crosby, Stills and Nash and Joan Baez and all the Dar Williams and all these other, you know, folk singers. But anyway, yeah, it was just kind of always a hard thing to shake. Not even that that was necessary, mm. but it just never seemed to accurately fit us. And I think it didn't encompass what we were really doing. So we just kind of clung to the Americana genre because it was so, so broad. Sure. Maybe it's just mood. It's emotion. Maybe it's something less, less, uh, that we can't really put a category on it. It might be less tangible, but whatever, maybe you're just following the muse of where the song wants to take you. Maybe the words, maybe the words dictated. I don't know. Maybe it's your headspace. It's kind of, I don't know, Kate, what do you think? I know it's, that's true actually, because even on one album, we're in different genres. I feel like, yeah. you know, I especially uh, like at the edge of disaster. Mm-hmm. Certainly, the Americana, you know, broadness can cover that. But there's also some surf, and there's, there's some. some sure. yeah, there's definitely surf. There's more straight up rock. There's mm-hmm. alt country. There's, there's a little a bit of shoegaze. A little bit, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like each album, for the most part can't even be defined by one genre. So yeah. we just were like, eh, fine, it's Americana, fine. And then somebody somebody said folk noir and we clung to that like crazy. That's pretty good though. <laughs> so uh, we should say uh, David Johnson, uh, a blue flower, but then talk more about uh, spanning off to this new project and what the, I guess, what distinguishes these songs from your previous, previous projects and tell oh, us more sure. about the trio. So we are hoping, the trio's hoping to write some original music. We haven't quite gotten there. We've just kind of uh, tiptoed into that realm because Matthew uh, Parmenter is an incredible songwriter. And I, I definitely want to, uh, he's, he's an endless resource of creative energy, which is wonderful. Another powerful um, voice too, just in general yes, as a singer. Definitely, yes. I haven't quite gotten him to sing with, sing with me yet, but I'm hoping to get there. But yes, yeah, so we... Basically, it started, I don't know, it's been so fun for me because I've been fronting Blue Flowers for 10 years. Then we did in the middle, like a few years ago, we did that Sound of Eleven project that was just kind of a, you know, one-off because we just had some angst to get out. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, you know, it just feels like I, I have a little bit more, I can kind of do what I want here. Right. So it started very simply and it kind of just snowballed, but I... I decided that I wanted to cover other local songwriters because I have, right, I have 
a lot of very good friends that I admire a ton and are insanely talented songwriters. And it first started with Anthony Retka. I did a show with him called Haunted Wood Review, and he did an acoustic version of a song called Everything Is Good. Mm-hmm. You might have been there. It was, was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up getting an album released of that, and it's on the album that we released. But I just that night, I had never heard him do it like that, and I was so blown away by that rendition of it. And then when the album came out, came out I heard it again, and I was just like, yeah, I want to do that. So, <laughs> so I started... I started singing that regularly at shows. And then Don Dupree actually gifted me a song that uh, he and Allison Lewis wrote. Oh, wow. So that was, yeah. So that was, he, he, he just basically gave it to me and wow. said I could, yeah, right. I know. I mean, who, that's like the biggest honor. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, it's huge. Yeah. So, so I wanted to do that. And so then I was record. so then I was performing two local singer songwriter songs. We had already been performing Murder Doesn't Hide the Truth by Duende, which is a song that I sang the vocal on on their album. Of course. So that was three. And then I was like, all right, so now we have a theme. You've got a theme. And then, then Emily Rose released her latest album and it didn't have this one song on it called Quick. Okay. And I was just like, why? <laughs> why is that not on there? And she explained and I completely respect it, but she was just like, it, I just couldn't get it. You know, I couldn't get it where I wanted it on this album. And I, I gave a little pushback and was a little like, come on, like, cause it was just my favorite. It was one of the songs that made me fall in love with her. Yeah. And she basically just was like, well, do, do you want it? And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I love this story. So, I love the trend of how these songwriters are just being, I guess, so generous with their own creative work. They're just, oh, here. Yes. I love yeah, it. It's, yeah, go ahead, sing it. I mean, it's just, it's so nice. And so that, so then we, that one took a little bit to get down because I mean, we had to switch it from, she had recorded it on a piano and mm-hmm. so we had to switch it to guitar. So that one took a little bit, a uh, little bit of work, but I like how it came out. And then I'll, uh, I'll save the other ones as secrets, okay. but there's, there's one other that we have that is another local songwriter and then there's two more that we're working up right now mm-hmm. so we have five of them recorded and an, an original of ours that we rec- that uh, we released on blue flowers make me stop and i actually put out a little youtube of that but we have that recorded and so we just need you know a few more and then we have a full album so that's, that's awesome. what we're working on that's awesome as you were talking i was just remembering those um a couple events inside of the rust belt uh yes the Rust Belt Market here in Ferndale that, that you organized where you got all these songwriters in a room and that was so special and so beautiful. It's always been, it's always been something I've been drawn to this, especially my, my very favorite thing to do uh, was to get people on that stage that normally don't play solo, normally don't play acoustic and then make them strip down their songs mm-hmm. to the very bare bones of the song. That is like, I love it. I did that. I actually did that with Matthew Parmenter, though he he performs solo all the time, so he was used to it. But I did that with Luddites. I did that with a, with a few. Matt, I had Matt Smith come and play acoustic. Yeah. But yeah, it's I loved those showcases, and I did try to get to put another one together, but I haven't been able to work it out, I and think, obviously not now. I think songwriter is a very key word that we should open up here because, and then my mind was also just drifting to like Laurel Canyon because I think Laurel Canyon had that same situation where it's just a bunch of really creative songwriters together in a community, and people called it folk, but or maybe psychedelic rock, but really was it? I don't know. So my thing is, I think that what what you're doing and what a lot of the people that you're collaborating with and who are providing these songs are, they are just songwriters first, and they have yes. to they happen to have a distinctive voice and a vision, and then 
the audience might interpret it as folk or whatever, but it really just starts with, you know, the song. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's how I look at it. I just, yeah. I feel like all the, almost all of them, you know, can just be stripped down to the song, right. the chords, the lyrics, the words, and really it's the melody and the words that make the song. And then the chords kind of support it, uh, depending on how you write. But, but yeah, it's, uh, there's just something about that, the bones of a song that I just, I find really interesting. And so even with covers, when we do covers, that's what I'm always looking for is just the bones of the song. And I really try to get details down. I I know some people, you know, try to make things their own, but I like to get the details of a vocal. And I always pick covers that have a nice challenging vocal that I can try to conquer. Like that's, that's the fun for me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So before we get into something else that you've kind of been doing during quarantine, which isn't music because we haven't been seeing live music, we can at least, we should just talk a little bit about the fact that you did get to perform and that must have felt good just recently at the Detroit Music Weekend. Yes, I I was so excited. The Detroit Music Weekend (laughs) came together in a crazy flurry. I mean, it was so fast. It seemed like that. It really, yeah, they announced it they, I basically found out a week before that we were going to be doing it. And it was just, yeah, it was it was really quick. So I didn't even have time to get nervous, really. <laughs> the day of, I was certainly, I was a mess. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but I was really, really excited to get on stage. And it was small, but the people that were there were you know, very warm, inviting, receptive, which is what you're looking for when you get on stage. It just was, you know, it was love. It was yeah. a lot, you know, it was it was good. People wanted to be there. People wanted to see live music. We only did two songs, so I didn't even have time to calm down. I was still like a, yeah, I, I was still a mess. Even when we got off stage, I forgot to talk. I didn't even like barely say anything. I, it's like I'd forgotten how to perform, but I was just happy that we did it and yeah. that we got to be included for sure. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously the last five months we haven't really gotten the opportunity for these live these live music events. And I have to say, as someone who is really tapped into the, the music scene, I have seen musicians kind of, I guess, sort of struggling to figure out what, what to do with their time and energy. And you're, you're still working from home, obviously. But, you know, whereas some musicians maybe have been bouncing off the walls, you've been finding something else to sort of uh, give you some meditation. It's all over your social media. You've been gardening like crazy and it looks beautiful. <laughs> Tell me about your garden. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I get so stupid proud of my garden. You should be. I'm <laughs> stupid envious of your garden. So. I really did. I'll be honest. Uh, when everything shut down, I some people thrived. Some people just were like, yeah, I'm cool. I'm going to still create things. I'm going to release an EP, an EP. Right. you know, I'm going to live stream every week. Like some people just were fi- not fine, yeah. but they, that's how they, that's how they dealt. Yeah. I had, I had been talking about before my actual regular day job got cra- somehow got crazier than ever. So yeah. I was kind of consumed by that, but I also kind of just got paralyzed creatively. Like I didn't know what to do without having music in my life. I couldn't have my trio over until, you know, many months later to rehearse. And Tony and I did a couple live streams, but yeah, I, I dove into gardening hardcore. Yeah. I would every day when I woke up, go out and look at just tiny little plants to see what they'd done overnight. I, I had all these new flowers that I gotten in the fall that I planted. And it was just every day was like, what happened in my garden? It was just this crazy focus of mine. It, it sounds really <laughs> rejuvenating. It's Just very rejuvenating and I, I get I, I get a little silly about it, but one of the most fascinating things to me, flowers in particular, anything that grows that that ends up giving you a seed that you can then replant. I just think it is so fascinating that they grow, 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 give you this beautiful thing, shrivel up and die. 
And then sometimes they actually just replant themselves and are reborn. Like, I just think that's the most beautiful, amazing thing. And I get really just silly excited about it and seeing a bloom coming and then seeing it open. Like it's, it's just been such, such a wonderful gift during this time to have that to focus on, have that to feel like I'm actually still accomplishing things. And it's such a rewarding thing for me, but yeah, I just, I planted a bunch of flowers in the fall that I, I couldn't even remember what I planted. So it was this daily surprise of what's going to come up there. What's going to come up there. And then I have vegetables too which is always fun because then you can eat what you grow right (laughs) i just think that gardening in general offers us a lot of i guess metaphors that we can really take with us i just the idea of planting something and seeing it bloom that is the idea of hope that that it that it kind of grows back it's just it's it just i think it's i think we're all kind of in our own gardens right now hoping everything blooms back right now you know what i mean i think i agree and gardening requires patience you know we need mm-hmm. patience right now but then you know there's a reward and i don't know it just feels like it's a good it's a good time to garden right now i think yeah. it's a great time to garden and it's something you can do solo so right. you don't have to be around anyone right and yeah it it does require patience and i I am, I'm not a notoriously patient person. So it's, it's good for me to have something that requires that, but then also gives you a reward in the end. Well, on a closing note, I am not patient to hear more about what songs the Kate Hino trio might be doing and who might be providing them. (laughs) So that's a note of an excitement to kind of, to kind of leave on is that, you know, this trio can still start working on some new songs. That's also got to feel good though, right? So. Oh yeah, it's great. It's it's my, I, I'm a goal, goal motivated person. Like that's, it's uh, goal oriented, I guess is what they would say. Mm-hmm. That was kind of why I was floundering is because I couldn't even really have a goal because there was nothing. I couldn't book any shows one by one. All my shows were getting canceled. We had gone into the studio right before everything shut down, thank goodness. So we had our songs we'd already recorded. But now that I have like a very clear goal in my head, I feel very like determined and focused and I'm, it just rejuvenated me and I'm super excited again, which is fun. And listeners out there, when you hear it, you can call it whatever genre you want. Kate, I know yes. it's just gonna keep singing. Kate, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being here. That was our chat with Kate Hino, singer-songwriter of the Blue Flowers, but also of the Kate Hino Trio. And uh, we're going to link to some songs to sample so that you can hear this voice that I've been talking about, such a powerful voice and uh, great stage presence. But interesting to hear that she had to overcome stage fright just like anybody else. But I'm really interested to hear the enlivening of other writings by other Detroit artists that the Kate Hino Trio is going to do with David Johnson and Matthew Parmenter. Links to that in the show notes. This is A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. Like, subscribe, and tell a friend. It's a library podcast. Thank you for listening.